We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. In Luke 11, uh, starting in verse 5, it says this. He also said to them, after teaching them to pray, imagine that one of you has a friend and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, friend, loan me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. Imagine further that he answers from within the house, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know Carrie already asked at the beginning of the service if you would, but if you want to check in, uh, there's a QR code on the screen, and there should be one around your feet somewhere if you want to do that. That's just to let us know who is here on this day, and also to check in with you. There's a lot going on in the life of Branches, and we really want to keep you connected to get you to be a part of a group, to know what's going on. If you are already on the text uh, messaging, you got a message last night to remind you about uh, Spring Forward, so some of you got that. Some people opted out of it. Uh, so they're like, I know, I don't want it. Uh, and so anyway, if you... If you uh, check in. You may get texts from us from time to time just to remind you of what's going on in life of this community. Again, we're so glad that you're here. Um, people started associating uh, Harry Styles. When they see Harry Styles or hear about him or listen to a song of his or see a TikTok about him, if they know us, uh, they see it and they think of my wife. What a golden kind of crown she wears. If somebody sees Harry Styles, they're like, Landon. Uh, that's who they associate with Harry Styles now. So cool. Not me, not our dog, Harry Styles. Wonderful. I, I think it's great. It's wonderful. I'm a big fan. Uh, she's in her Harry Styles season. It's lasted a long time. Uh, I think I'm in my Mother Teresa season. <laughs> a little bit of a different vibe. <laughs> uh, but both valuable. Uh, both speak deeply to our hearts. Uh, but especially during this Lenten season, I've been reading a lot about Mother Teresa because we found, after Mother Teresa passed away in her journals, what uh, a lot of Christian thinkers for centuries have called the dark night of the soul. That every Christian figure, especially the ones that we see, if we imagine them, they have this like glow about them. Uh, they have this season of their life, maybe an ongoing season, maybe an undercurrent that they don't share publicly of their own lack of faith or doubt, their own difficulty, their own darkness, their own struggle, their own troubles in their life, their own storms that they go through. And she wrote about this extensively in her journals. And, and not to blame her at all, uh, her whole ministry, her whole goal in life, she said even, uh, if you want to get close to Jesus, get close to the suffering. And that she did. That was her whole MO. Uh, she wanted to get close to suffering people. So she lived and worked and led at the, the home for the destitute and dying in Calcutta. There's a story, many of you may have heard it, that they would get these shipments of shoes and she would dig through the boxes of shoes and she would find the worst ones, the ones in the worst condition, and she would wear them for herself. 
So she, this kind of self-imposed uh, suffering. That, that's Mother Teresa's story. Uh, she drew close to those who were suffering. And I heard this really wonderful story about Mother Teresa. Uh, she was raising money for an AIDS hospice. So a home for people who had AIDS who were dying and she was making a home for them so they could be in comfort and be cared for as they passed away. And this was, I mean, in the era that she was in, there was not a lot of care or attention that folks got. In fact, especially in Calcutta, especially in India, they were cast aside. They were like lepers. We don't want them part of society. She wanted a home for them and she was raising money for them. And so she went to Washington, D.C., and she met with this famous attorney, Edward Bennett Williams. Uh, Many of you may have heard of him. He was Frank Sinatra's attorney and Richard Nixon's attorney. He also at one point like partly owned uh, the Washington football team. Uh, And so a big important guy. And he had a foundation. Uh, And part of his foundation he would give to charitable causes and she knew about this. And so she was gonna go put the pressure on to this high powered attorney in Washington to give money for this AIDS hospice. And so before she went, Williams was uh, in his office and he knew that she was coming and he was kind of nervous about it. And he talked to one of his partners who was gonna be present and he said, okay, this literal Catholic saint is going to ask me for money. I need you to stand behind me. I've already determined I'm gonna say no. But if the pressure is on, just remind me what I told you. <laughs> but I'm gonna say no, she's gonna ask for money. I'm gonna stand my ground. It sounds like a great cause, but you know, for him, even in this time, it's like, I, I, don't, wanna be, I don't wanna be associated with that, whatever. He had his reasons, he, did, he wanted to say no. So Mother Teresa comes, if you've seen pictures of her, she's this really frail woman sitting in this big, you know, lawyer leather chair at this big mahogany desk, two men in suits, one Frank Sinatra's attorney, you know, you can imagine the environment. And she gives this beautifully worded pitch, like she'd rehearsed it. This is what it's going to do. This is how much money it's going to cost. This is the environment we're trying to create. Your money can do so much good. Gives them the pitch. I mean, hard to say no to. And he's like, Teresa, thank you so much for coming today. I really appreciate the work that you're doing, but it's gonna have to be a no. And she nodded and she said, okay, let us pray. So they prayed, they're praying. She prays this beautiful prayer, amen. They all say amen. And he's like, okay, getting ready to usher her out. And she gives the exact same pitch, word for word. (laughs) Just as beautiful, just as compelling. And William's partner's like looking at him like, She's lost it, you know. She forgot, she gave the pitch. She thought she opened with prayer. She's just doing it all again. She needs some help. We gotta usher her out. She gives the pitch again and, and he's like, thank you, Teresa. I appreciate it. I understand the cause. Thank you. It's still a no. She goes, okay, let us pray. <laughs> so she prays. She prays mightily and just really moving prayer. And then she opens her eyes on men. And she starts to give the pitch again. William's like, okay, fine. And he pulls out his checkbook and he writes the check for the money. <laughs> if it were that simple. <laughs> I mean, by all means, I encourage you, try that. <laughs> you know, if you're really asking for something, pray. You know, pray fervently, pray obnoxiously, pray forcefully, pray, pray, pray. And if it's a no, pray again. But some of us I know, and I'm looking around the room, some of us I know have been praying for a really long time. And it's still a no. We've been praying for as long as we can remember, fervent, powerful, wordy, tearful prayers, and it's a no. And the question always arises in the Christian spirituality, in the the life of the Christian for centuries, either God isn't as good as God says God is, 
or God isn't as powerful as God says God is, that he can't do anything about it, or he's not good enough to do something about it. And that's, you know, we have a word for it, it's called theodicy. It's this question that's been raised for centuries, and there's no, I gotta show my cards from the beginning. We're not gonna leave here today with a tight, neat little bow. (laughs) That there's no short, pat, cutesy answer to any of this. But Mother Teresa, if if anything, shows us that, that to pray is to pray continually. Paul says it, Jesus says it, that confronted with a no response or a non-response to pray again. Any of you guys uh, have your read receipts on on your phone, like people can see if you read it or not? Brave. (laughs) Uh, It sometimes feels like that, and I feel like this in my heart, that I've prayed a prayer numerous times, and, you know, I confess, I believe truly, God's heard it, but I haven't heard an answer, or the answer's been no, or I'm confronted with the same situation, or the person that I love is still suffering, or the situation that I'm up against is still happening, that we pray and pray and pray, and nothing seems to change. And of course, that raises another kind of bounty of questions. Do our prayers actually influence God? Uh, Tom, my boss, he's gonna preach on that in a couple of weeks, I gave that one to him. Uh, do, if I pray more, like, does that kind of pile them up and then God will finally see it and then he'll answer, like, 50 more prayers and I'll answer. <laughs> that doesn't say really anything positive about God's character. Is it the energy with which we pray? Is it the words that we use? Is there something deficient in me that God's not listening to my prayer because there's something wrong with me? He's like, I'm not gonna listen to Colin. If somebody else prayed it, yes, he prayed it, no. And we start to think, we start to kind of imagine, I'm a worst case scenario guy, I get it. We think about what's all the things that are in the way of this prayer being answered, or is God not who God says God is, if it were that easy? Pete Gregg is a pastor in England, and he runs 24-7 prayers, kind of prayer movements all over the world, kind of out of England. Uh, He's written several books on prayer, and he wrote this book called God on Mute. If you want to dig into um, unanswered prayer, can't recommend it highly enough. I've read it a couple of times and it, he just dives deep. It's not cute at all. The cover of the book is like a dead tree in winter. Like that's the vibe. Uh, and it really, really captures kind of what we feel in those unanswered prayer seasons of our life. Uh, Pete's wife, uh, one night she was holding their really young, like nearly newborn child. And she expressed kind of in a panic to Pete that she couldn't feel her leg. And he thought maybe she was sitting weird that it had fallen asleep. And as he got up to go maybe take the baby from her so she could readjust, she started seizing. And he took her to the emergency room and uh, her face was contorted and she was in a lot of pain and they did scans and they found a brain tumor in her brain. And it was operable and they operated on it, but they were unsure, you know, what is she gonna be like on the other side of the surgery? What is their life gonna be like? Pete described so vividly uh, and it's so painful. He had this kind of vision in his mind of, am I gonna have to show pictures of my wife to my children so that they remember who she is? He was thinking all of this as she was going through this. And luckily the, the, the surgery was successful and in some way his prayer was answered. She was fine, she's still living. She's still with her children, but she's still dealing with epilepsy. She still regularly has seizures. And difficult, hard, painful ones where she bites her tongue and he says, what is it like to see the person you love the most in the world in just horrible pain, unexplainable pain and you can do nothing about it. And you wish you could take it all on yourself, but you can't. And he says so many times he's prayed for it to stop and it hasn't stopped. 
And this guy <laughs> writes a, pr- a book on unanswered prayer because his wife asked him to. She said, all the stuff I've read is unhelpful. Will you write something? And he still faithfully believes that prayer works. I want to believe like he does. And we think that this problem with prayer is just a modern thing. But remember, Jesus was prompted to teach his disciples on prayer because they said, okay, teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. We don't know what's wrong. Things aren't going our way. How do we pray? And so he gives that model prayer, and then he follows up with the story we have today. Imagine, he says, you have a friend. Imagine you go to this friend's house, and, and really under the current here for, for the first century, the, the question really is not like, imagine this possible scenario. He's saying, imagine this crazy thing happening, because in their own culture, in first century Judaism in particular, you were hospitable to your neighbors. Who cares if your kids were asleep? Who cares if you were getting ready for bed? Who cares if you already cleaned the dishes? If your neighbor came to the door and they were hungry or they were hosting somebody else, you would jump up, you would get what you had, and you'd give it to them, and you'd expect the same in return. So Jesus is saying, can you imagine something like this happening? Can you imagine your neighbor saying, leave me alone, I'm sleeping? The answer, the rhetorical question would be no. (laughs) My neighbor would get up and help me. And Jesus' response then is, how much more then will God answer you? And it seems so clear cut, it seems so clean, even ends with this, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds, to everyone who knocks, the door is opened, period. No question mark, no accept, no condition, ask, seek, knock, ask and receive, seek, find, knock, and the door will be open to you. Again, some some of us have been knocking for for a very long time. Uh, And and I I love the way that that Luke puts it, especially in common English. It's different in other translations. He says um, in verse eight, I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. in other translations, it says his, because of his persistence. So the implication is then is if you just keep going back and you keep knocking, he'll get up. I, I like to imagine this scenario. Like if somebody says no, again, like Mother Teresa, knock, knock, knock. Annoy the person into submission and they'll get up. And Jesus says, treat God that way. Uh, and I want to affirm that. God can take it. And again, also, God's not annoyed by you to keep praying and praying and praying. But this isn't the only time Jesus talks about it. He, again, is teaching on prayer in Luke 18, and he says, Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. He was a jerk. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while, he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, still a jerk, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. And a lot of people say like, is that how God is? He's like, okay, fine. (laughs) Okay, I get it. If I give it to you, will you leave me alone? But that's not Jesus' impact. He says, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. 
So it's a contrast, it's not a comparison. He's not saying God's like this judge who doesn't like people or like God. God is actually a parent and loves you as we pray, our Father, and he'll answer quickly. The, the better translation I've, I've heard, <laughs> other than persistence or to push or to be determined, is actually shamelessness. That because of their shamelessness, the judge answered, or because of their shamelessness, the neighbor answered. It wasn't because they tried over and over again. It was because they were vulnerable. They exposed themselves. They shared themselves. They were shameless in asking for something at night or pushing, even though their kind of societal difference, this widow to a judge, a high-powered judge, answer me and give me justice. It's shameless. So then the practical implication for us is, okay, pray shameless prayers. Take that as you will. (laughs) Pray shameless prayers. Pray prayers that would embarrass you if you were to say them out loud in front of other people, whatever that means. We're, we're lucky in that the Bible has, is replete with examples of these shameless prayers. I'm reminded of one in the Psalms, Psalm 88. Maybe you've heard it before. Uh, it's not Psalm 1 or 150 that are kind of like, woo, the Bible, I'm ready to go. This is in the Bible. Listen, Psalm 88. Lord God of my salvation, by day I cry out, even at night before you, let my prayer reach you. Turn your ear to my outcry because my whole being is filled with distress. My life is at the very brink of hell. I'm considered as one of those plummeting into the pit. I'm like those who are beyond help, drifting among the dead, lying in the grave like dead bodies, those you don't remember anymore, those who are cut off from your power. You place me down in the deepest pit in the dark and deep places. Your anger smothers me. You subdue me with it wave after wave. You've made my friends distant. You've made me disgusting to them. I can't escape. I'm trapped. My eyes are tired of looking at my suffering. I've been calling out to you every day, Lord. I've had my hands outstretched to you. Woo. It's going to lighten the mood a little bit. But I can't because it ends this way. They, his enemies, surround me all, all day long like water. They engulf me completely. Just can't escape it. Can't hide from it. You've made my loved ones and companions distant. And this is the last line of Psalm 88. My only friend is darkness. Period. No yet or but. No maybe. No possibility. No glimmer of hope. But nothing. My fr- only friend is Darkness. The Bible's more honest than the churches. <laughs> the Psalms are more pointed and more open and honest and vulnerable than Christians are. The Bible says things that many of us wouldn't dare to say to God. And yet 90% of the Bible is about God and then this 10% in the Psalms are addressed to God and they're the prayers that Jesus prayed and they're handed down to us, this prayer book of the Bible and God says, pray them. End a prayer with darkness is my only friend shamelessly pray it. And then especially during the season of Lent and I'm reading about Mother Teresa and just thinking about the cross, thinking about looking at Good Friday, I remember that Jesus had unanswered prayer. One of Jesus's prayers was this, God, with you, all things are possible. So if it is possible, take this cup from my hand. It wasn't. He suffered, he died. The cup wasn't taken from him. And then Jesus on the cross prays another one of those prayers, one of these shameless prayers from the Psalms that I urge all of us to pray. Psalm 22, maybe you've heard it. 
my God, this is Jesus, my God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Or why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my anguish, anguish groans. My God, I cry out during the day, but you don't answer. Even at nighttime, I don't stop. You are the Holy One enthroned. You're Israel's praise. He's describing this holy, loving, caring God. And he says, my God, my God, you, Holy One, have forsaken me. You forgot about me. Jesus prayed that prayer. In that honesty, in that frankness, in that shamelessness, I want to encourage you because there's, I think, an ugly Christian thing that Christians say is like, your prayers like this show your doubt. I think if anything, if you're bothered by unanswered prayer, it's because of your faith. It's because you know who God is supposed to be. You know who God is in Jesus. You know the promises that have been given. You know the way that God is supposed to see you. You know that the, the God's desire is for wholeness and, and, and love and care and compassion and justice and equity. You know that's God's vision for the world. And when we're confronted with the world in an opposite way, we say, God, why? And that says something about your faith, who you are. All I can say, and I've wrestled with it all this week, is like, what do I really say? is to say, well, maybe we should just say what the Bible says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then when you don't feel that way, pray that on someone else's behalf. Or walk with someone who is praying that sincerely. Or share that prayer with someone. Or someone you know who feels, darkness is my only friend. Affirm that in them and say, it's in the Bible. You're not alone. I'm with you. I've been in that darkness. And don't offer them, uh, well, at least, or but things will get better or there's hope on the horizon, but feel assured and secure that you can sit in it to pray that shameless, open, vulnerable prayer because Jesus did. So in our practice, this is gonna be weird. Um, I wanna encourage you to do something. If you text uh, lament, we have the slide for that. Yeah, text lament to 55498. Like, have you ever texted lament to someone before? Um, you'll get a list of all the psalms that are lament psalms. And when you go home today, or maybe right now, if you want to mark them in your Bible, circle them, underline them, put a little L next to them or something, bracket them, uh, hold on to them. There are these words given to us by God himself, and they're ones that Jesus prayed and continues to pray even now with us in solidarity with us. You pray those prayers. And so you'll get a list of them, and I encourage you to pray them. Additionally, in our practice, you know, last week we added this prayer wall back here. Uh, just kind of add something to that. Uh, and I encourage us last week, I want to encourage you again. Say what you really want to say to God. Even if it's just why. Even if it's just, um, I don't feel your presence. Even if it's, why are you silent? You're not being who I think you're supposed to be to grab God by the collar and, and pray to him and, and say, listen, as the Bible says to God, listen. When I was a kid, uh, I lived across the street from a college professor, uh, Dr. Lombardo. Uh, and I only ever saw him when I was selling Boy Scout popcorn or he was mowing the lawn or you know we saw him when we were trick-or-treating or something, never saw him. But for some reason, I thought he was very cool. Uh, I was a kid. I was a weird kid, uh, and I, I really liked Dr. Lombardo for some reason. And I knew that my friends Jacob and Alex, who lived down the street from me, that's who I usually hung out with, they were out of town, but it was a beautiful day, I wanted to go play outside. My mom came outside, I had run outside, 
uh, and she saw me throwing a ball with Dr. Lombardo in his yard. And she came over and she was like, I'm sorry, Dr. Lombardo, is Colin bothering you? And he said, no, he came and rang the doorbell and asked if I wanted to come outside and play. <laughs> and that's one of those stories my mom tells over and over and over again, is like about me, isn't that so cute and embarrassing? It was shameless, like a child. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know Dr. Lombardo had better things to do than play catch with his weird neighbor kid. <laughs> I, I didn't know that it was kind of like, I should have maybe just played at home inside by myself and not gone over and asked the college professor neighbor to throw a ball in the yard with me. I didn't know. But that's the sort of shamelessness I think the Psalms show us, what Jesus shows us, what we should instill in ourselves that like, go knock, go ring the doorbell. It, it, God is not above you and beyond you so much so that you should be embarrassed to ask him for something and to ask again and to keep ringing the doorbell. God, I'm here. So if I encourage you to do anything, it's to pray that and to pray shamelessly, persistently, openly. And when it's a no or a non-answer, pray again. And I can't ever promise, as some people promise, like if you keep doing it, then something will happen. I don't know. But I do know the imperative, the command that we're given, the picture that Jesus gives us. We want to follow Jesus. If we want to pray like Jesus, we'll pray as Jesus taught. That because of their persistence, God heard and answered, whatever that answer is. Keep praying. Last thing. I'll pray with you. I am honored to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Carrie, Michelle, Katie, we want to pray with you. And we want to cry out to God and wrestle with God and look in God's face and say, where are you? I'm crying out to you. We want to pray with you. And we are praying with you. So cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, as the Bible says. Be persistent, be shameless. Ask God, pray to God. And because of your persistence, maybe, we hope, we pray, we long for, we wrestle, that God will answer. Let's pray.